0: Welcome to Podcast Therapy. I'm your host, Suzanne Whitman. Let's face it, trying to find a new podcast is like going down the proverbial rabbit hole. But if you're listening to Podcast Therapy, I do the work for you by featuring favorite podcasts from friends, listeners, and even interviewing the podcasters themselves. Join me every week for a new episode because Podcast Therapy is cheaper than retail therapy. Good afternoon, Sean.
1: Good afternoon, Suzanne. How are you?
0: I'm good. That was really formal.
1: Yeah, it works. Yeah, so, so,
0: okay, we were just going to start talking about how our days are and, and all that, which is probably a good way to begin our conversation with what you do and who you are. So why don't you go ahead?
1: Yeah. So my name is Sean Fedeplice. I am the Midwest Regional Manager for the Main Street Alliance. Uh, we are a progressive small business advocacy group, and I live in the great state of Wisconsin. I actually um, live in Madison now with my wife and my five-year-old son, and I'm on the road. I uh, actually met Suzanne at a, uh, we talked previously, but in person, first meeting was at a advocacy training. We had at Hinterland Brewing uh, title town next to Lambeau Field, and I'm actually on the road again today uh, to do a similar event tomorrow in La Crosse. So just excited to be here and excited to talk about all things podcasts.
0: So um, where are you hosting this event in particular in La Crosse?
1: Yeah, it's at Western Technical College. Uh, We have a um, supporter who is a staff member there so we can get a a nice meeting space, um, not quite as nice as what we had in Green Bay, but it works and it's uh, functional. Um, I've learned the hard way not to try to do these at our businesses themselves just because they have customers and so they've got people in and out all day. So, um, but excited to be here. And we've done a lot of work in this part of the state for the last two years. And so, um, but this is actually our first time really getting people together for like a group event like this in person. So, just really excited to to be a part of that. And also kind of weirdly, um, I worked here in 2010 for Congressman Kind. I was his field director in that race. And it's always weird coming into lacrosse because there's a, I have a, you ever be go to some place where you have like a lot of meaning behind places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, oh, that's where the election night party was. Oh, that's where X, Y thing was. And You know, being here, uh, it's a little surreal. I was, um, I worked for Ron and then I ran the recall. There's state Senate recall Mm -hmm. that happened here after the 2011 protests um, after um, Act 10 and all the things happening here in Wisconsin around that time. And so I ran the recall here and uh, Jen Schilling actually uh, won against the recalled Senator. And she's going to be at the event tomorrow teaching people how to advocate with elected officials. Uh, she's since retired, she's no longer in office, but she served for 10 years, including as the minority leader there. So it's just kind of weird to have her at something, you know, (laughs) 12 years later, but she's a good friend and excited to catch up with her and excited to bring people together here in La Crosse.
0: So this is pretty timely, um, because we just had the local races last week. Uh, so for to have you here is kind of neat to talk about all of this. Um, why don't you explain to everyone exactly what is Main Street Alliance?
1: Yeah, we are a small business advocacy organization, um, and we focus on really five core issues. Um, make sure people can afford health care and provide to their staff if they choose to do so, and um, you know, make sure paid leave is available. Uh, We're the only Western industrialized country to not provide it. And that's a major, just basic human rights issue, but it's also uh, a staff retention issue and quality of life issue. Um, You know, capital access, ensuring that folks can get access to capital as they're getting the business going. And as they expand, making sure the tax code makes sense uh, in terms of small business. Um, and really ensuring that we don't have huge monopolistic businesses taking advantage of small business. So what we're really trying to do is we're trying to be the actual small business lobby. And speaking very frankly, there are a lot of groups out there who claim to speak for small businesses, but are really not. Um, Oftentimes they'll use the veneer of small business, but when you actually scratch behind the surface of what they're saying, for more than two seconds, you realize that it really is a big business agenda that tries to use small business as a way to justify their positions. And so for us, there really hasn't been a small business lobby in statewide in Wisconsin. Um, and so we're working really hard to establish that. So we have about, uh, we're approaching 500 member businesses across the state. Uh, we've worked really hard to help people, weather the pandemic help them tell their stories and work to make sure that you know, elected officials are hearing from them about what's important to them. So um, that's what we're all about. And that's what we're trying to do.
0: So can you explain for those who don't know um, what the definition of is of a small business? Because, you know, you would think it was under 10 employees.
1: Yeah, the SBA defines it as under 500, which is a bit ridiculous. If you think <laughs> about it more In two seconds, uh, clearly a business that has 499 employees has very little in common with the uh, you know, a solopreneur like you are, like yourself, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: you know, I would say the smallest, mem- the smallest businesses that are members of ours are people who do it part-time uh, alone. And maybe they have uh, consulting contracts, maybe they do other type of work, but uh, it's not necessarily the only thing to do. And then that goes all the way up to you know, businesses that have 120 staff or so, that's like the largest members that we have. And, you know, and, and I would say the average is closer to like 15 to 20. Um, so, you know, small businesses are by far the largest employer in our country, including Wisconsin. And, and frankly, right now, you know, with, uh, you know, a lot of folks, you know, going through the great resignation and a lot of people leaving jobs that they really didn't care for, during the pandemic um, or wasn't offering them what they needed in their lives. There's a lot, I mean, there's more businesses being created right now than in any point in our country's history. So that's really exciting, but it also means that there's a lot of work to do to make sure that they have the opportunity to be able to succeed.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't re- recognize that, You know, the size is what's considered small business. And like you just said, the difference between uh, a business or a corporation that has 400 employees compared to, to two for example, right? Um, not all of the needs are the same. And so it is really great that uh, Main Street Alliance is there for them and advocating for them. Um, it's a national organization, correct? When did the, did it start?
1: It started in 2008. Uh, we started really working to, after the 2008 presidential election to be able to get affordable care, um, the Affordable Care Act done, uh, to really invest in health insurance and make it more affordable for folks in our country. And so we, You know, started really out of that beginning and then grew to an organization of now about 30,000 members spread all throughout the country in all 50 states. Uh, We have fairly small staff. Um, Last time I checked, I think we have like 12 or 13 staff. So it's it's very small. But the last two years, both of the pandemic, but also with the sort of moment that we've been in, in terms of small business, we've grown very rapidly across the country. So I expect we'll continue to grow rapidly. And, you know, for us, the way we're funded is through foundations, uh, predominantly. Uh, We do take donations from individuals. Um, I would say if people are listening to this, uh, do the Patreon first for uh, podcast therapy. But after you're done with that, um, go to our website, mainstreetalliance.org. We really are trying, and I'm actually excited that here in La Crosse, where I am right now, we're hiring staff here uh, in May. Um, we're hiring staff in Green Bay. We're hiring staff in Milwaukee. And we're really working to make sure that we're out there in the communities, meeting one on one with folks, working to make sure that we're supporting small businesses as best we can.
0: What is some of the legislation that's out there right now, kind of pending and, and holding as far as uh, small businesses are concerned?
1: Yeah, so we just recently had a victory where the Restaurant Revitalization Fund um, passed. uh, They were replenishing it and that actually passed the House this past week. We're trying to get it through the Senate. And the Restaurant Revitalization Fund was a program funded by uh, the American Rescue Plan under the Biden presidency that provided support to local restaurants, bars, businesses that were impacted by the pandemic. Unfortunately, they only funded it to uh, one third of the demand, and it's been a long, hard fight to try to get the rest of it funded so that folks who've been impacted get the support they need. Uh, Thankfully, the House did act this past week, and so we're working to get it done in the Senate as well. Uh, That's one example. Um, As far as state policy goes, there's really three state legislative bills that we're trying to get done. Number one is um, paid leave, There's a paid leave bill that was introduced by Representative Pope and uh, Senator Ringhand that would allow employees to pay in and then receive benefit when needed for things like pregnancy, taking care of a loved one, if somebody's sick, the normal stuff you'd expect from a paid leave policy. Uh, We also are working really hard and will make the case from an entrepreneurship standpoint of why this is so important is that um, Badger Care expansion. Um, if you're, for folks who are listening to this outside of the state of Wisconsin is, as part of the breath America, the, uh, affordable care act states could expand Medicaid and it expanded it to about $18,000 a year in income for uh, individuals. So it's still very low, mm-hmm. but there are 95,000 people in our state that would receive health insurance at little or no cost. If we took the expansion on top of that. Um, the Biden presidency to try to encourage people, encourage the state legislature to take the funds, um, said that they would give us $1.6 billion on top of the 95,000 people receiving health insurance, which we could spend on all sorts of things, on bridges, roads, uh, schools, uh, health and other health programs. Um, you know, there's a lot that we could use that money for. It's frankly a moral um stay in our state that we have not taken it. And we're going to make a strong case over the next you know, several months that uh, this is not only a moral issue, but also if you're somebody trying to start a small business, uh, having access to health insurance can be often one of the biggest barriers for folks to be able to do that. So paid leave health care. And then lastly, there's a tax in Wisconsin called the personal property tax. That is frankly, um, we're very pro having a robust um, tax base to be able to pay for social programs, so it's not like we're against taxation. Um, However, the personal property tax is a dumb tax the way it's executed is the compliance basically every year imagine you're a bar and you have a stool every year you have to pay a tax on that stool. And it, you have to count up all the different things and, and figure out all your different inventory and the actual compliance costs of this tax is higher than the revenue it actually generates for the, for the local municipalities. And so thankfully there's been bills introduced that would address this. And our hope is to be able to get that done and across the finish line in the fall. So those three issues, um, health and healthcare, through bachelor care expansion, paid leave, and repeal the personal property tax. Those are gonna be three issues we really work on really hard uh, here in Wisconsin.
0: So I'm wondering, I mean, these to me sound um, very important, obviously needed. What kind of pushback do you hear from the other side when they say, you know, we're not interested? Or or, I'm just curious. I don't know if you have the answer to that.
1: Yeah, so uh, our organization is a 501c3, 501c4, so we advocate on issues. We don't say vote for or vote against, uh, support or oppose certain people running for office. However, we do talk about the issues in a real way, and we're going to be honest about the root causes of why certain things are in certain positions. And uh, as an example, badger care expansion, there are very two very specific reasons why we have not taken the badger care expansion. Scott Walker ran for president and wanted to say he wasn't taking Obamacare. And so he, you know, denied the expansion for that reason. And then gerrymandering has allowed folks to be in districts where they don't have to worry about any kind of public pressure for the last 10 years. And so they can kind of just do whatever they want. And as a result of that, it's been very hard to generate the kind of public uh, um, pressure to be able to get that to change. And so that's just like if you talk to either side of the aisle, if they're being honest, they'll say that that's the reason why the politics in our state on that issue are that way. There are people out there who will say they don't believe it's the role of government at all to be involved in health insurance. And I just kind of have to say that too bad. You know, (laughs) over 50 percent of health insurance in some form or another in our country is provided through government programs, Medicaid, Medicare, the VA so i mean you can be an ideologue all you want but it, it that doesn't really help people in your district um so i would say that you know so on the healthcare issue there's that paid leave you know folks will say we don't want a new entitlement even though it would be something people could opt into and receive benefit from it's not a mandate um and i would say as well frank uh, really when it comes down to it you know it's just a difference of values you know for us you know we value the ownership of these businesses, but also the staff, the workers, and the people who, you know, are living in these communities who are the customers. And I think that like we really believe that all those folks have value. And, you know, I think a lot of business associations, especially the more right-wing ones, tend to really favor the ownership over anything else. And that there really is no consideration to sort of the knock-on effects of policy for other folks that. Are doing that and and we think that's short-sighted because a business can't thrive if it doesn't have healthy you know uh customers and it can't thrive if it doesn't have healthy staff and so things like badger care expansion even though a lot of other business associations don't actively push for it um we think that's wrong and we think that ultimately it would be good for business if we got that done so people are entitled to differences of opinion but we just bel- we really do believe that you know, we need to live our values and mm-hmm. our members support that vision.
0: Well, I know one of the things that we talked about, which is actually going to lead into one of the podcasts that you uh, mentioned that you listen to, and I'd like you to talk actually about all three of them, um, is the access to capital, right? So if you are somebody who is looking to start a business and there are going to be startup costs, whether that is actual infrastructure or supplies or whatever it is, um, inventory you know, where are you going to get that money from and how difficult is it for you to get that money? And so I did actually listen to the one episode that you mentioned, um, on the podcast, the heist, um, cause I found that really fascinating, but why don't you share that with the listeners, um, starting with the heist and then go on and move into the other podcasts that you, um, that you like to listen to. Yeah.
1: They're very different podcasts from each other. Uh- <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> Rashonda Young is on our board uh, nationally, and she founded a company called Popcorn Heaven, which I like the jingle that she had. Yeah. I, I heard her before, and it just, it's uh, kind of cute. But um, she you know, ran a popcorn company in Waterloo, Iowa, and uh, was working to get capital to be able to expand and, and run the business the way that she wanted to run it. And she couldn't. She couldn't. She needed uh, eighty thousand dollars, and she got about fifty from the bank initially, which really caused her a lot of stress because, you know, she couldn't hire enough people. You know, there was a lot of challenges with not getting fully funded at the beginning, um, and she, you know, worked hard. It's not like she wasn't working hard, uh, but she's an African American woman, and you know, she again and again couldn't get the capital she needed. So she had a franchise, and she had a um uh physical location and she had to decide which she was going to go all in on because she just didn't have the time to do both so she ended up selling the location to a white woman um and african american uh gentleman there were a couple and uh the white woman went to the bank with the same, same bus-
0: bank yeah
1: bank same business plan same staff same everything and got offered three times as much money to be able to operate the business now there's still huge amounts of discrimination that happen Mm -hmm. within capital access, both uh, women and people of color. um, And, you know, I think that people have to be honest about that and talk Mm -hmm. about the consequences of that. Um, You know, you have many cases, you know, not as much generational wealth Mm -hmm. within uh, BIPOC business owners. And so you end up having this situation where the banking system really perpetuates inequality. And, uh, so the thing I loved about her was she's like, screw this. I'm going to start my own bank, <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> which is like, is I've actually never met Rashonda. I'm going to meet her next month. Cause we have a May small business fly-in to DC and she'll be there cause she's on her board. Um, so I'm really excited to meet her and, and find out how things are going, but, um, it, it really is a need and it's still a need, even with all the, you know, rescue plan money, even with all the grants, even with all these other organizations that are doing good work, there really needs to be more access to capital for those business owners to be able to get things going, to be able to expand, to be able to grow. And we need to make sure that people are not being unfairly discriminated against because of who they are in the banking sector. So I really love that podcast, it's called The Heist. It's on app, the app store, it's um, on the Android app store, uh, podcast store rather and definitely recommend folks listen to it. It's a five-part series and uh, really goes to show, and I think really explains just how pervasive some of these structural issues are in terms of access to capital.
0: And also what was really interesting, you know, when, you took a, or when they, she talked about starting a bank was, I believe, I'm trying to remember the startup cost for that, was it 3 million or something that you needed to have initially, but she wanted to triple that amount, is that correct?
1: Yeah. I think legally she, you had to have 3 million and she was going to do 10 million, which I have to say, that's a lot of money to raise from investors. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I wish her the best of luck and the work to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, she wanted to be whether she wanted to be able to weather a storm like mm-hmm. uh, maybe a pandemic as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's important for her to make sure it can be resilient too, because she didn't want it to be a failed bank that can then just be pointed to as the reason not why not to, invest in her community as well. So it, uh, you know, she's in the process still. Um, so, you know, we'll, I'll send you the information that folks can look it up and, and see if they want to support her in that work. But it's definitely, um, you know, a labor of love for her. And, you know, our organization's really supportive of those efforts.
0: Well, and I wanted to talk about another point that you made, which I would have brought up anyway, was generational wealth, right? And so for, can I test your history? I mean, is I don't know, I don't know if you know, but I mean, do you know why there was um, there was that barrier for people of color? Do you historically, I mean, I know a little bit. Well, it's
1: redlining and there's redlining in terms of real estate where folks literally were not allowed to get a mortgage in certain neighborhoods. And as a result of that, uh, you had less money uh, because those areas were considered to be less desirable. And also you had discrimination in terms of the sales of homes too. So while on the one hand, you had white folks in the suburbs or in the cities post World War II, especially that were able to generate and grow their wealth by getting you know real estate that lim- that was really limited for a lot of folks, especially uh, black and brown business uh, or um, uh, homeowners. And so, you know, that's that's one cause. So you had redlining in literal real estate, then you had redlining in terms of banking access and lack of access to banking as well. So these are not things that are in the past, really, mm-hmm. you know, we have maybe less, um, what's the word, like obvious or less like blatant, uh, examples, but mm-hmm. it's the same thing's happening. it's just a lot more subtle than it used to be.
0: And, you know, I've talked about that with friends. Uh, if you break it down and you just think about it, you know, if you, let's say for example um, your grandfather started a business whatever that may be and then handed that down to the son who handed it down to the grandson I mean that's what general generational wealth is and to think that you had that start um, you know you were above the rest right that you had a start financially um, as opposed to someone who had nothing I mean that's that's what that means and that's it can make a world of difference. Right. I mean, for someone who has that available to them in, and maybe it isn't even just like, well, I'm going to take over my dad's business. Maybe it's, you know, we have monies that have been available through and and transpired through the families. I've heard of people who said to me, you know, we didn't have to buy a house. We ended up um, living in my grandma's house. And it's like, you know, and it's nonchalant and it's just conversation, but you're like, Oh, I mean, there's a chance you don't have a mortgage. Wow the fact that you're not paying a mortgage and you're saving that kind of money every month compared to somebody who is g- going to get a mortgage and getting out of renting a place. I mean, it, it completely changes people's lives. So I think that's something that people need to be aware of. Um, if you don't get that help in the beginning and it's not passed along, um, you're in a really bad place, you know, going forward.
1: Yeah. And I think that, um, whether it's folks who are Asian immigrants or African immigrants, or uh, maybe many cases, people who are not immigrants because they were taken to this country against their will, Um, you know, slavery wasn't that long ago. Like people talk about it as being like this very long ago institution. It's just a couple generations, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, how many generations is it? Like five, six, something like that, Uh, maybe seven. And, um, you know, so when you literally start with nothing, Out of a, you know a system that was based on oppression, and then you continue that discrimination through Jim Crow and other laws, um, where again, like whether it's getting a job that's well-paying, right, mm-hmm. or it's getting you know the the mortgage in the nice part of town or the part of town that has higher um, co- higher um, increase in in uh, price, so you can build wealth. Or if it's you know going to the banker to get access to a loan, there's a lot of still, like you know really when it comes down to it, there's a lot of you know, structural racism that really perpetuates inequality, and we need to be honest about that and really talk about it. And I something I thought was really interesting is that you know, Roshonda was really fighting to get good data hmm. on like a lot of these banks and in terms of what they were lending and who they were lending to, and you know having that actual analysis. And the question is, like, why was that something they had to fight for, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why didn't they, why didn't the banks, why didn't these financial institutions just like self-report that kind of information? It's because they didn't want people to know, because they they would clearly see, you know, the massive problems that exist. And so, I mean, the work that she did to try to get the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau to be able to get that data is really important. But as it said in the podcast, it's going to take several years to get that and to be able to make the case. And even then you still have to make the case to change things Uh, just because you have the data doesn't mean that people are gonna listen, right? So it's for us, I mean, when we talk about capital access, you know, it's this sort of this dynamic and addressing it in a real way through policy at the state and federal levels and through the regulatory system as well. But then also it's been working to make sure that a lot of the grant programs that have existed during the pandemic that there's more equitable access to those funds. And we're, I was really happy recently that these um, diverse business grants were awarded in Wisconsin. It was about $80 million that was given to like the Hmong, um, the Hmong Chamber and like the Southeast Latino Chamber and a bunch of really great, awesome organizations across our state. However, I, and I, I just wanna be very clear, I think Governor Evers has been a real leader in terms of small business issues our state on a per capita basis has spent more to help small business than any other state in the country. However, I will point out the fact that the diverse business grants were the last ones that were awarded. Yeah, And I think that just goes to show that it was not something that was thought of at the beginning when things were starting to be given out. And I think that, like I'm not trying to put them necessarily on blast, but it's just like, I think it's an example where that is not necessarily a priority for a lot of policymakers, and we need to make it a priority.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not even sure how to segue to the next one, um, so I'll just, you know, let you go, but let's talk about Marketplace, because I um, actually listen, a lot of times we will listen to WPR or NPR on my way home um, commuting, and there is Marketplace. Is this something a little different, or is it the same thing? Same thing. Okay.
1: Yeah, um, Kai Risdahl, is the like the the host usually, and the reason why I like that show is that it's very dense. There's a lot of good information. They do, uh, like on a consistent basis, talk about major economic trends. So they talk. They've been talking about a lot in, about the inflation and labor markets and Ukraine and Russia recently, mm-hmm. and they do so in a way that I mean I think that there's such a thing as trying to be too unbiased. <laughs> like where journalists will go so out of their way to not appear in any way um, like giving preference or or, or that they're, um, you know, uh, partisan or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but that's not what Marketplace just really talks about. These are the trends that are happening. They have really good guests on. And I think it. I learned something every mm-hmm. time I will listen to that show. And honestly, I listen to podcasts a lot, partially because... I have ADHD and I have a five-year-old as well. And so I don't read books as much as I used to. Um, and so I often listen to podcasts in the morning. Um, every morning I wake up and I, I clean the place because uh, he's, uh, I, I love my son, but he's definitely- um, A tornado. But yeah. And so, <laughs> and I just, like, I just like cleaning. It's just therapeutic for me. And so in the mornings I'll do that and I'll listen to podcasts and usually Marketplace will be one of them I'm listening to. Cause I, I really think that I learn a lot from it. It helps me understand broader trends so that when I'm meeting with individual business owners and when I'm meeting with individual people, like I think having a better idea of what's going on overall in the economy helps me to kind of then contextualize what people are individually going through and have a better understanding of the issues so I can be a better advocate. So I really like that show for that reason. And uh, Kai results just kind of funny he's kind of quirky a little bit. Okay. And so I appreciate that about it as well.
0: And then the to top it all off, which like is so funny because this is, you know, serious talk that we've started with and serious podcasts. I'm um, kind of surprised to see when you sent me the third one that you're interested in, and I didn't know it existed. Um, go ahead and, and introduce that one to everybody.
1: Yeah. Colonel O'Brien has a friend. Uh, <laughs> or is uh, it
0: needs a friend?
1: A friend, needs a friend, sorry. Conan, um,
0: Conan O'Brien needs a friend.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I've always loved Conan. I, I like how uh, eccentric he is. I like his humor. And also, um, like, the whole thing with him and Leno, like, and his reaction to that, and just, like, how nice of a person we owe us to the staff, and just, like, how kind he is, um, really made me always kind of like him. Mm-hmm. And so um, I started listening to the podcast, and it, it's just absolutely hilarious, because it's him unfiltered. Like Mm -hmm. he doesn't have to like filter himself at all. And you would think watching some of his late night shows that he already was not filtering himself, but he's just like a very real person. He's just really funny. And uh, he has um, uh, like really good guests on. And I recently um, on the way up here, uh, I was listening to the recent episode with him and Paul Rudd. And So,
0: you know, I'm a fan of Paul Rudd and I was going to listen to it. And then I thought, you know what? is is it gonna be all celebrities? You know sometimes some of the best interviews are people that are just regular people. So I didn't listen to that one. so go ahead, fill us in.
1: Um, it was kind of chaotic they' <laughs> they're like they're actual friends and oh, they have okay. for a very long time. Um, and Paul Rudd has this running joke where the, he like um, plays a clip from this really random 80s movie. I forget the name of it. There's like a kid in a wheelchair that like falls into, Lake and there's like an alien. And he just always, whenever Rudd would go on O'Brien's show, he would just like it it would be like roll the clip for whatever movie he was (laughs) in at the time. And it would just always be this really random, like 80s, like really uh terrible movie clip. And so he actually ran it in audio form on the podcast just as a joke. And it was funny because you can't even see the gag, right? Like it's a visual gag. Yeah. (laughs) So um but no, it's, these interviews are, they're like an hour long
0: mm-hmm. too,
1: right? Whereas like the late night shows, it's like five minutes and you're done. And so I think it really gives, and, and Conan's a really good interviewer mm-hmm. too. And so you combine having more time, less filter with interesting people. And yeah, like I, I'm a bit of a nerd, as you can tell by my other two podcast choices. Um, I also listen to like 538 and some other politics podcasts and that kind of thing. But I th- the thing I like about Kona Show is it makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes it's okay to just kind of like put your brain in a jar and just like, you know, listen to something that you enjoy and listening to two to people really get to know each other as well. So um yeah, I just, I, I, I like Conan a, a lot. I think he's, uh, an interesting person has an, int- and he's a good interviewer. And I highly recommend that podcast for anybody who just wants to, to laugh a little bit.
0: Well, he's really self-deprecating, you know, so that makes it funny too.
1: Yeah. And he did a lot, like after, you know, he paid all his staff, like when the whole Leno thing happened, like he's, he's, he does a lot for the community as well. And, um, yeah, he's been through a lot. I mean, to have that happen, then to also lose his recent—like, I don't think his normal show is even on anymore. That was on TBS, so he's literally just a podcaster now. That's okay. like his full-time job. So, you and Conan O'Brien have something in common uh, as running a podcast. But um, I don't know, it's just stuff—stuff stuff like that. Where I deal with serious topics all day, every day, and so having something to, to kind of like break that seriousness is
0: helpful. So, um, I'm going to tell you about two that I listened to, cause I feel exactly the same way. Um, there's a lot of serious podcasts that I listen to. And then now with having started a podcast, I listened to a lot more podcasts. Um, but there are two that I have, um, actually shared on two different episodes because I, other people told me about them that are really fun. And I usually try to save them for like a Friday afternoon, like, oh, it's the end of the week. And I don't want to think anymore and I'm not going to work tomorrow. So, um, one of them is called attitudes. Um, and uh it was she is she's a self proclaimed like feminist and she talks a lot about uh what's going on uh as far as any kind of i don't know bills legislation you know ab- abortion and all of that and then he um talks about lgbtq uh rights that are, that are going on so this is where i've learned about other states and, and things that they have put forward and the ridiculousness of some of the laws and, um, bills that have been put forward, um, against, uh, the LGBTQ community or women as well. And so, but they do it in a, she's a comedian and he's actually, I think like a comedian actor. And so, uh, they're really funny. And they go off on these crazy tangents. And half the time, I'm like, is this a true story? Are they just making this up? So it's really light and fun. But when they do talk about the real things, um, um, it's very informative. So that's kind of cool. And then the other one, when you talk about something that's uh, lighthearted, but now I'm like, it's all like lighthearted with with some serious topics involved um, is a podcast called Asian, not Asian podcast. And uh, I think their tagline is something like, Um, giving you all the information about Asians that nobody in America cares about. (laughs) And so um, the idea of being Asian American, what is that? And they are two comedians originally from the East coast. And now one has actually moved to the West coast um, and is one of the writers for, oh my gosh, Carpal Karaoke. Name a guy. James Gordon. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so he's one of his writers. Um, so it's really interesting. And they, and they still do stand up comedy as well and everything. Um, but the topic about feeling like, okay, you were born here, raised here, yet you look different. Why are you not considered an American? So again, um, serious topics, but a lot of crazy stuff, very irreverent, a lot of cursing too. So I just have to warn you about that. <laughs> but
1: there's a lot of cursing on Conan's show as well. Well, Um, I
0: listened to one episode because um, it had something to do with Las Vegas and I kind of like Vegas. (laughs) One of my favorite places to go. And it was about the biggest weed dispensary. Did you hear that one? No. Oh, it's like, and they just interviewed, I don't know if he was the manager or someone there. And I thought they said it was 10,000 square feet.
1: Yeah, there's a um, my dad actually lives in uh Roanoke Virginia um uh actually Covington which is like 45 minutes north of Roanoke and there's a medical marijuana facility that just got built there it's 250,000 square feet yeah I, I think they changed the laws nationally where medical marijuana can now be like sold across state lines okay where you couldn't do that before and so now there's more consolidation and yeah, they actually tried to hire my dad. He's like, no, I've got my job. I like it. But it's just interesting to see. I mean, this is like a very, this is like basically West Virginia. You know, this is, you know So This it's just interesting to see that happening in areas like that. I did put in the chat, um, yeah. this is not a podcast, but it's, I mean, it could be if you just listen to it instead of watch the video. But um, Francesca Hong is a member of our state leadership team. Okay. Uh, with uh, Main Street Alliance. And she was featured by Voice of America and about Asian American change makers. And it's, the video honestly made me choke up. It was Aww. just like, oh, she's just so real in it. Yeah. And just really talking about some of the struggles that she's had. And she's a small business owner. She owns, as a co-owner of Morris Ramen, which is uh, right near the square in uh, Madison. And um, she got fed up that small businesses were being left behind terms of policy. So she decided to run for herself, run herself at one Mm -hmm. and, uh, just really, a really inspiring person. So I definitely, um, if there's show notes, encourage people to check that out.
0: Yeah, definitely. I can put that in there. Um, I actually had to speak to a group at my daughter, youngest daughter's high school. And, um, I did, have a a couple of different people mentioned and Francesca was one of them um, because, you know, not everybody follows politics and so they don't know. But And and I don't know what young people follow. So (laughs) I was just like, just, you know, here's all the movies that you might follow like Shang-Chi or whatever that you are familiar that there are Asian American actors. But as far as quote unquote regular people like politicians, (laughs) um, we actually have some in our state as well. So I think think she,
1: uh, don't quote me on this. I might not be correct, but I think she might be the first Asian American uh, yes. member elected to the assembly. Yes.
0: Yes, that's is, the information that I found as well.
1: Yeah, which in the year of 2020
0: is 22, sad, right, but
1: is, it's cool. And but it's also like right to take them along, you
0: know. I think I heard the same thing about the new justice as well that was appointed yeah. for the Supreme Court. Um, that you know, you think you're we're all excited about this, but at the same time, we're like, wow. Oh, it's 2022 and that's how long it took. So um, yeah,
1: I think it's a scenario where you feel excited for a few minutes and then you feel resolved to continue to make things better. Right, you know? yeah.
0: right. So, you know, going back to what you do, Sean, like what is your hope in the end with um, the work with Main Street Alliance? What is, what is the hope that you would love to see happen um, in general uh, in, within our state, if not within the country?
1: I would say that we have a legitimate and effective small business lobby in our country that advocates for what most small business owners actually care about and staff and communities. Um, you know, we have a lot of groups out there who say they do, but um, don't really. And so, for for me, I think Wisconsin this year is going to be a bit of an experiment. We've been able to hire more staff. We've been able to expand quickly. I think we'll have a 1,000 members by the end of the year. That's our goal. Um, My goal is to have more members in the State Chamber of Commerce by 2024 and to really grow this into a real movement. And I have to say, there's been three times where I've been part of a movement in my career. There's times where you're an organizer and you do an important work, but it's not necessarily movement. Um, The Obama campaign in 08 felt like a movement. It was a political campaign, but people were coming together from that kind of irrespective of him in a certain way. Like they they just got a part of the organization and it was really inspiring to see because like on election night in Columbus, Ohio, there were volunteers of ours who got to see the first, you know, African-American president get elected who literally couldn't go to downtown Columbus, Ohio when they're kids because it was a sun downtown, oh. So that was like really personally inspiring for me the 2011 recalls here in Wisconsin, I actually organized a protest of a thousand people right down the street here in 2011. And um, that was an interesting time to put it mildly. And then now with small businesses, I think the pandemic has really opened the eyes of a lot of small business owners about why policy matters. And it's also, um, you know, there's a lot of solidarity That exists between small business owners right now who've been through a lot in general but also especially the last two years so we have this opportunity right now to really make sure that that energy gets put into something long term that really helps to affect change in a really uh, meaningful way where we don't come back to the same situation in the next crisis and so i think for me building you know building this up in wisconsin to be the premier business lobby for small business in the state and to really tell people stories to be able to impact policy and to be able to really make things better at the state level and then take what we've learned from that and really work to do the same thing at the federal level. There's a lot of great people working in other states right now, but we just we need more folks. We need more organization. And so I think that um, doing well in Wisconsin this year will help set us up for that in 2024 and really build this organization into what it really can be.
0: And I was going to ask you, yeah, the last part would be, um, so what do you need to do? You know, if you are a small business owner, what should you do? You can become a member of Main Street yes. Alliance for, for free.
1: Yes, Suzanne's a member. Be like Suzanne. Uh, so go to MainStreetAlliance.org and click sign up now and you can become a member. If you do that, you will hear from us, uh, whether you're in Wisconsin or other states. We have or- great organizers in other regions as well and the DMV, sort D.C. area, um, up in Jersey and other parts of the state, uh, the country. So go to Alliance.org, become a member. If you would like to donate, that's great. Uh, You can do that. And uh, our upcoming events are listed on the website, including um, two events that we're doing here uh, the next two days, doing advocacy training, lacrosse, and Viroqua. So, you know, sign up and become a member, support us, attend a local event, and use your voice.
0: That's awesome. Well, thanks, Sean. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad we um, got connected and that I was able to join this group and uh, looking forward to what change can be made and be part of this movement, um, as you mentioned. So appreciate your time. And uh, I know we will run into each other again soon. We will. Thanks, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. So speaking about businesses, I'll be part of the Empowerment Panel at the 2022 Northeast Wisconsin Women's Business Summit on Tuesday, May 24th from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Radisson Hotel and Conference Center in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Anyway, thanks again for listening and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow me wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like the episodes, leave me a review so others can find me too. I'll feature another episode next week, so make sure to come back and make time for some podcast therapy.